Good morning, everybody. Today we're going to learn Yeshua Parachas. At the end of Parach Zion, we saw that Kalah Yisrael went to war against Ai, and they lost the Muhammad. We saw it was because somebody was over on the Cherim, somebody stole some of the items from Yerichai, and therefore that's why they lost the war against Ai. In today's Parach, Hashem is going to come to Yeshua and tell them that they should go against Ai again, they should fight again against Ai, and they're going to be successful in battle. Hashem tells Yeshua that they should set an ambush, which we're going to see in detail in Parakhat. So Yeshua is going to set the ambush. They're going to fight against Ai. We're going to see that they're going to set half of the army is going to go behind Ai. And then Yeshua is going to go, go with the rest of Christ so in front. They're, the people of Ai are going to run out and chase Yeshua. And then the people coming are going to come from behind. They're going to burn down the city of Ai. The soldiers of Ai are going to be scared. And they're going to lose the war. We're going to see at the end that they're going to capture the Malach of Ai. They're going to kill him. They're going to hang him. And finally, at the end of the parak, we're going to see that Yeshua is going to build a Mizbeach and he's going to command Klai Yisrael about the Tarras Meisha. We'll see exactly what Torah did he write, what Torah did he d- describe to them. And Rashi over there is going to explain that really this is out of order. This happened, happened right after Klai Yisrael crossed the Yardin. But a mukta mukhar Tarras. Let's see the beginning of parak Ches. Pasuk al Bayem Hashem Yeshua al Tirov al Techas. Kach imchas kol alam and he tells him, do not be afraid, take the nation out to war against I, and I'm going to give you the entire nation over, you're going to, you're going to win over, you're going to capture the king, and you're going to capture this city. It's interesting, we're going to, we're going to discuss at the end of this year that Kaddish Baruch specifically commands Yeshua, he should not be afraid. We're going to see that this is actually a mitzvah de Raisa, brought down in Pasha Shaftim, that when soldiers go out to war, they're not allowed to be afraid. We'll discuss this more at the end. Definitely an incredible idea that there's a mitzvah de Raisa when you go out to war, not to be afraid. We'll have to discuss exactly how Kaddish Baruch commands us not to be afraid. Tells Yeshua that I'm going to give you over the city, I'm going to give you over the king. However, the difference is that by Yericha you weren't allowed to take anything. However, by I you're allowed to take the animals, you're allowed to take the booty from the war. And then Akadish Baruch tells Yeshua also set a trap, set an ambush from behind the city, which the Rabbag over here and then the parak explains that Akadish Baruch technically could have made another nace, but Akadish Baruch, like we, we, the Rabbag explained before, and we saw from other Rishayner, Ben Machai, and others. Now we always, HaKadosh Baruch Hu always tries to minimize the nation. If there's a possibility to do it, so HaKadosh Baruch would rather that it be done through the natural means. So therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to tell Yeshua to set an ambush, which we're going to see. Yeshua is going to set a very specific strategy. And the Rabbah actually, at the end of the parak explains that one of the lessons we see from this parak, one of the lessons we see from this battle is that when a person goes out to war, that we should, we should think about all the possibilities before him. We should try to set up the best strategy, the best plan of action for us to be successful. And the Rabbah explains every detail we're going to see in the parak, so many different details that Yeshua is very careful about, explains the Rabbah, because really a leader and anybody who's fighting against another country has to, be, has to be very careful, has to make sure that he has every plan, he has every contingency plan in place, so that he'll be successful. Yeshua picked 30,000 people and he sent them ahead. What's going to happen is, Yeshua says, that we are going to go with the rest of the Christ, so we're going to go in front of the city. Now the people of Ai are going to see us and they're going to come chase us out of the city. They're going to come chase us because just like the first time around, they were successful against us in battle. So therefore, they're going to come chase us out. And now once the entire city of Ai empties out to chase us from the front, you guys are going to come back from behind. You guys are going to come to the city of Ai. It's going to be empty. And you'll take over the city. You'll burn it down. That's going to be the ambush. And that's going. That's what we're going to see is going to happen. 
And Yeshua says, wait till they all, all the people of I empty out to chase us, because the people of I are going to say, just like we won the first time, so now we're going to win the second time. Now once they're fully out of the city, then you guys are going to come from the back. And then you guys, you 30,000 soldiers are going to come from behind, you're going to be successful in capturing the city. When you successful in capturing the city, you should burn it down like Hashem commanded. So Yeshua sets up the church, the sets up the ambush, and he and he settles in between Beiskel and I. And then Yeshua, the pasuk says, that Yeshua slept amongst the nation that night, which we shall explain. The freshman explained. We see that a leader is not afraid. A leader sleeps with the people. He doesn't sleep in a separate place. Yeshua was sleeping with Klai Yisrael because that's the job of the leader. Yeshua gets up early in the morning and he gets the nation ready to fight against I. Again, the Mepharshim point out, we've seen many times so far in Yeshua, we're going to see, continue in Nach, that, we, that the Pasuk leaves the Lashon of Ayash game, the Lashon of Zerizah, so when a person is doing a mitzvah, he should do up his Zerizah. The Pasuk just giving the exact locations, the coordinates, where Klai Yisrael was. Klai Yisrael was writing himself for the battle, and they came close. And now the Pasuk says, there were now another 5,000 people Yeshua set to set the ambush to set the trap. Now it's interesting exactly why did Yeshua now in Pasuk Yudbeis send another 5,000 people. He already sent, he already sent 30,000 people so there's definitely a few interesting pshatim in the Farshim. The Yaakam Amleiz gives three or four pshatim. His fourth pshat I thought was very interesting. He describes that these 5,000 people were not sent by Yeshua themselves. What happened was that Yeshua didn't tell the rest of Klaiso that he's sending the ambush. He didn't tell Klaiso he sent the 30,000 men because he describes that when you're sending an ambush you want to try to keep it secret. You want to try to keep it quiet. So what happened was Yeshua sent these 30,000 people. However, after Yeshua sent the 30,000 people, the nation themselves, the people themselves, came up with this idea. They said, why don't we set up an ambush? So therefore they said, we should send 5,000 people. And the Yachman Ways actually should suggest that this is based on an idea that we find that he, he writes like this. And that is that once a, there's an idea in the world, an idea is brought, is brought from an idea to fruition, it's brought from the, just an idea to practically being implemented, then it's much easier for other people to come up with the same idea. So if he suggests that once HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Yeshua to do this trick, to set the ambush, and Yeshua sent the people ahead, so now Klai Yisrael is able to make the idea on their own. And he brings in a very interesting story. With the base Yosef, the Mechaber Shachanarach, that one time he asked a certain Kasha in the Ramah to Islamid him, and he couldn't come with the tarots, and it took him a few, took him a few days, and after three or four days, finally, he was successful, he came up with the Chiddush, and he comes to the Shir the next day, and he's about to say over the Chiddush, and a Talmud comes over to him and says, Rebbe, Rebbe, let me, I have a tarot to the Rambam. So the base Yosef says, let me hear it. And the Talmud says the exact tarot, it took the base Yosef three, four days to come up with. So the base Yosef was blown away, and he had Chalish Zadas. He said, wow, why did, how, could, how did my Talmud, why was he Zaychet to have the same tarot that it took me three, four days to figure out? So that night, the Malach used to learn to Beit Yosef. The Malach used to come to Beit Yosef every night, which is how the, the Beit Yosef wrote the Sefer Magam Misharim. So the, the Malach came, comes to Beit Yosef and he tells him, don't be concerned, don't be worried. It's not because you did an Avera that the Talmud was there to have the same Chiddush. Rather, it's this idea that once a person brings down an idea into this world, once you and the Beit Yosef were Mechadish the idea, now it's much easier for everybody else in the world to, to be mechaven to what you were mechadish. But again, but the idea is going to mesiachas after you. It's really your chadish. But now that you're mechadish, it's much easier for people to come up with the idea. Just an interesting shot. And the pasuk over said that once Yeshua sent thirty thousand people, based on what Kadosh Baruch told him, now Klai Yisrael was able to mechadish that mechaven to the idea themselves as well. 
Asher mitzah from the air, that's akeva miyam leir, vayelach Yeshua balaylahu, b'tzorcha emek. So the Klaistel was setting up camp, getting ready for the battle. And Yeshua went, b'tzorcha emek, Yeshua went in the valley. So interesting, different shot in the Mepharshim, exactly what was going on with Yeshua. If you take a look, the Radak just explains a very pragmatic shot of here. Klamer halachu v'achriyam b'tzorcha emek, shamachin, esham liris, shem remachin, aram yishen, penyetzal anchei, pisam alem ve'vikon. Radak explains that Yeshua was going amongst the valley, amongst Klaistel, to make sure that they weren't sleeping, to make sure that the guards were on duty in case the people of Ai came out and made a surprise attack against them. So he was making sure that the Klai holds up. The Rabag is another shot over here that Yeshua specifically went amongst Klai Yisrael in the Amek. The Amek is the valley. He explains the Rabag that that's the most dangerous point for a person to be. The valley is where the enemies could see exactly where you were. And you sh- so therefore explains the Rabag, Yeshua went in the valley to show Klai that they, that they should be confident. The reason why Yeshua put himself in the place which is the most dangerous, the most risky, is to show Klaiso they should be confident in the war, that they should be confident they're going to win the battle. So again, you see the idea that a leader puts himself out there, puts himself in a position where he's putting himself at risk to show everybody else that they are confident that they're going to win the Muhammad. So the people of Ai saw Klai Yisrael and they start. They got up and they started chasing Klai Yisrael. They came out of the city and they tried. They started running after Klai Yisrael. So Klai Yisrael started running away. They, st- they turned around. They started running that direction. So the people of I emptied out and they started chasing Klai, so they started chasing after Yeshua. So the entire city totally emptied out and now the city was empty. They were all chasing against Klai. Raise up your spear, raise up your hand with the spear to show Kleister on the back, to show the people that they should come from behind. The people in the ambush should not go into the city. Yeshua raised his hand, and now Kleister, all the people in the back, the, the camp, the ambush camp came from the back, and they captured the city. So the people and I turned around. So now the people of I turned around, they saw that their city was totally on fire, that the people who set the ambush, they burnt up the entire city. They got very scared. And now Kleistro, who was originally running away, they turned around also. And now they turned to fight against I. I was surrounded on all sides. So now Yeshua and Kleistro saw that the city was also burning. And they started fighting with people on I. So now Kleistro totally surrounded I. They, they fought against them. And they destroyed everybody, they killed everybody, they didn't leave anybody alive. They left the king of Ai alive, they brought him to Yeshua. Kleiso completely obliterated the city of Ai, they destroyed everybody, they killed everybody. And Yeshua didn't put his hand down that he was holding the spear to show Christ that they should continue the battle until everybody was destroyed. They only they left over the animals and the booty from the city, just like a Kalish Baruch commanded Yeshua, they should take it for themselves. And they totally burnt the city of Ai down and they left it as a 
mound until this day. That's Malachi Tola Allah eats out of eats to earth. And the king of I they hung on a they hung on a wood until that after until that night. So they hung up, Yeshua hung up the king of Ai until at night they took down his body and they put it at the entrance of the city and they placed a large pile of stones until this day. And again, what exactly is the Pshat? They took him down that night. So Pashim Pshat, it seems, it's Machlegs and Mepharshim. There's an Issa Deraisa of having a person hang the entire night, to leave a person hanging overnight. So Machlegs is that a Platon on Jews as well. Pashim Pshat of here, you see that does a Platon on Jews. And that's why Yeshua told them to take down the body, which again has to do with the idea of Kavad Amates, and even in Anjus, a town like him. And we have to respect, we have to, can't be every sister of leaving them overnight. Now, Pasuk Lamed Rashi explains over here, it's really out of order. Really, this event happened right after Klaisal passed over the Yardin, after the Nase by the Yardin. However, there's no order. Sometimes Parakim are out of order. Again, one day we'll have to discuss why exactly that's the case. But the, it's not necessarily in order, so therefore this event really happened before. So they built a Mizbeach, and the Mizbeach was not allowed to have any metal placed on it. It had to be cut with stones without any metal, which I think Mar discussed. Now that's, why, that's when they used the Shamir, that's when they used the worm, or they had the stones already, which didn't need to be cut. But the idea is that the Mizbeach had to be made out of stones, that no metal was used to cut them. So Yeshua wrote the entire Teras Maisha on these stones, a tremendous machlegas and mefarshim, starting from Ripsadigain and others. What exactly did Yeshua write? The same thing what Maisha write on the stones. Did he write Yasser Sadibris? Did he write Parshas Tvarim? Did he write Kaltar Kul on the stones? Some mefarshim suggest that this is the earliest time that, maybe, that they wrote the mitzvahs, that this is the first time that there was a a compilation of the Tyrek Mitzvahs and the Yeshua wrote on the stones the 613 Mitzvahs which is an interesting discussion already they're on Ban and Azasagas in the beginning of Sefer Mitzvahs the Rambam describes how there's not really clear sources that there are specifically 613 Mitzvahs there's a Gemara and Makas and Gemara and those are really only two indicators that there are 613 mitzvahs, but it is Mukubal and Klai, so that there are 613 mitzvahs. So the Rambam doesn't disagree, he just goes through a different Rambam to try to figure out what exactly the source for it. But it could be this is the first time that the 613 mitzvahs were compiled, that they were written down on the stones, which again, it's tremendous machlekes in the Mepharshim and the Rishainim, already starting from the, the starting from the Ga'inim, who, start, who compiled different orders of the mitzvahs, but it could be that this is the first time that it was written. If we could find the stone, it would be very helpful to know exactly what's considered mitzvah or not. But anyway, the idea is that, Mishra, that Yeshua wrote either the entire Torah, that's Aras Adibris, which the, the Rapsadi Gain says that the, all the mitzvahs are marumas in the Aras Adibris, so he wrote them on these stones. So the same thing that Mishra had with Klai Yisrael, that half the Shvatim were on our Grizim, half the Shvatim were on our Evel. It's called Divrei Torah, so after that, you should read the entire Torah, and you should read the brachas and the klalis. Yeshua read the entire Torah. Whatever Moshe Rabbeinu gave over to him, Yeshua repeated to Klai Yisrael in front of the men, the women, the children, everybody who was in Klai Yisrael at the time. Yeshua repeated the entire Torah to them. Now, what, she, what exactly is including the Torah at the time? Does that include the Rabban? Does that include the future of the Yom Probably not. So again, very, definitely a very interesting discussion to know when we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu repeating the entire Torah to Klai Yisrael and Yeshua repeating the entire Torah to Klai Yisrael, what exactly does that include? Definitely a fascinating discussion for another time. Ezra Hashem. One quick aura on what we saw in this parak. 
the fascinating idea we saw in the beginning of this parak that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Yeshua that when he goes out to battle he should not be afraid when he goes out to war so you can take a look at Shaftim this is actually a Pasuk in Parashat Shaftim which the Rishonim counts as a Mitzvah Deiraisa the Pasuk in Shaft Parashat Shaftim Parashat Pasuk Aleph says like this the Pasuk says when you go out to battle against your enemies, you're going to see a horse, you're going to see chariots, and they're going to be greater numbers than you. You should not be afraid because HaKadosh Baruch is with you, and he took you out of Mitzrayim, and the Roshayim actually bring down, this is a Mitzvah Seder Raisa, when you go out to war, you should not be afraid. And if you take a look at the Chinuch, the Chinuch brings down this Mitzvah, and he explains that when the idea of the Mitzvah is that when a Jewish soldier goes out to war, he shouldn't think about anything else, he shouldn't be concerned about losing the battle, he should place his and if he does, then he'll be successful in the battle. So now the question is, so it's very nice, there's a mitzvah there, right? So that a person shouldn't be afraid when he goes out to war. But what do you mean? It's very scary when you go out to war. You're putting life at risk, going against an army which is much greater than you. How exactly does this mitzvah work? So if you take a look, a ruin fighting is a beautiful piece, which we'll speak out for the next few minutes, in the Sefer Divri Shalom, which is the Sichas that he gave in his yeshiva, a beautiful piece on the idea of Yiran, the idea of fear and anxiety. It's a beautiful piece, page 97. He goes on for 30 pages. We'll just give a quick summary of the ideas that it brings out. So he asks this question, how is it possible that a Jewish soldier should not be afraid? So he explains, if you look at the beginning of the Pasuk with Rashi, the Pasuk is giving the solution to this, to this question. So the Pasuk said that when you go out to war and you're going to see a susferech, you're going to see a horse or a chariot. So Rashi explains, that what do you mean a horse or a chariot? There's going to be thousands of horses and chariots. So Rashi over there explains that a person has to recognize that all of the horses and chariots, are really nothing. It's really one. He should not be concerned. Rashi writes, Rashi explains in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they're all one horse or one chariot. Meaning that if a person puts his betachan HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a person recognizes that he's going out to battle with the help of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so in the eyes of Hashem, there's no difference if the enemy has one chariot, a thousand chariots, it doesn't make a difference. So that, says Ruben Feinstein, is really the way that a person is supposed to over- overcome his fear, is to recognize that it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Klapi Hashem, it doesn't make a difference who he's fighting against. But asks Rebuvain, that's very nice, that a person should have that betachin, should have that recognition. But that works for a rational fear, a rational fear where, you know, there's a lot of enemies against me, so now, if I, if I recognize that Hashem can, can be, win, just like he can win against one, he can win against thousands, so very nice, I won't have a problem with the fear. But what about all the irrational fears, things which don't really make any sense? People have the emotions, emotional responses, and they're very scared of things. So how is a person supposed to overcome that? How should a person overcome that era? So it's fascinating that Rebuvian Feinstein gives us a window to his own life where it's really interesting to see that a God is willing to put himself out there and describe his own encounter with Yira. So Rebuvian Feinstein describes how when he, he had a certain disease, he had a certain illness, which he had to go for a certain test. And he writes that he had to go into an MRI machine and he never went to an MRI before, but he, he heard it's not such a big deal. Shouldn't it be such a problem to go into, into the MRI machine. However, he writes that he was placed into the MRI, he was placed into the MRI scan and he all of a sudden got extremely claustrophobic and he asked the person to take him out and he took a minute or two to, to try to calm himself down and he couldn't do it and he said he could not go back into the MRI, he couldn't go back into the machine. Whoever's gone for MRI may be able to relate to this experience. I've done it before. And I, myself, was in an MRI and I had to be taken to an open MRI. I could not do the closed MRI. It is quite claustrophobic in there. It is quite small and cramped space. However, Rebuvin explained that he tried to analyze, he tried to figure out what the source of this fear is what was the source of his year? So he, so he was going through it himself and he's trying to figure out why is he scared? So first he thought it's just a classical case of claustrophobia. He's just afraid of small spaces. But then he recognized that's not the issue. That's not the challenge. He said he remembers many times that he used to work on their cars. He used to work in very small spaces when he was in el- small elevators. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem of claustrophobia. So he couldn't figure out what exactly was the source of his year. So finally he, re- he recognized, he was thinking about it and he realized that this was the source of his fear. 
My problem, says Rubeit, my problem was not a fear of confined spaces. My fear was the fear of being out of my own control. Explain to Rubeit that what he was scared was, not that he was in a small space. It was being in a small space that you're out of control. When a person goes into the MRI machine, once he's inside, you can't come out. The only person who can take you out is a technician. So therefore, says Rubeit, that was the source of his yera. His yera was that he was out of control. It's quite another thing to be stuck in that space, dependent on, upon someone else. Help should you want to get out. It says a Rivain, that was the recognition that until someone else helps you, you're stuck. And he writes that that's the same thing with an elevator, that a person could be in an elevator, it's not such a big deal. It could be, with, it could be a large elevator, and it's not scary. However, the second the elevator gets stuck, then the person will panic, the person will freak out. When the elevator is stuck, he's out of control. And that's when the person has a tremendous amount of yera. He writes a story that somebody was in his house once and he was in a room and it, wasn't, and it was a large room and he was sleeping and the lock broke. And all of a sudden, once the lock broke, the person freaked out and he right away had to break down the door because the person was so scared. So Bruven writes, it was the same idea. When a person's out of control and a person feels like they can't do anything about the situation, that's when they overcome with a tremendous amount of yera. So Abruvin writes that after he had this recognition, he thought that it would get better, but then he, it didn't get any better. It got worse. Abruvin started recognizing there's so many times in life where you're really out of control when you go outside in the street, when you go into a car. You're really out of control and anything can happen. A person could get hit at any moment. The person could die at any moment. So Abruvin writes it was really a hard time in his life where he was constantly afraid. He was afraid of everything until one day, finally, he had an epiphany. He had a moment of a clarity and that's when it all turned around. And this, he writes, was the solution to his whole problem. On page 21, he writes like this, In a moment of beautiful clarity, the answer finally came to me. It is true, I don't know what is going to happen in the future. It is also true that there are many dangers that we face in our daily lives. But there is a Rabbani Shlalem, and that is why we need not be afraid. Cesar Bruvain, when he had this recognition, that he's in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you're right, really at every moment in your life, you're out of control. We feel like we're in control. It's, we feel like we're, we control our own lives and we control our own destiny. However, it's true, we do our Ashtadlis, we do as much as we can, and we have to be careful not to place ourselves in situations of danger. But when a person has the recognition that's really all in the hands of Hashem, every moment, every second that you can lift up your hand, put your hand down, close your eye, blink, that's all from Hashem, that's a recognition that you're always in Hashem's control. And he writes, we are always in Hashem's hands, no matter where we are, no matter what's happening around us, Hashem himself is in full control of what will happen to us every second. Furthermore, Hashem is a mative who constantly has, us on, has only our very best interests in mind. Right? So Reuben, once he had this recognition that you're right, really at every moment, every point in a person's life, who knows what's going to happen next? Who knows what could happen to him? And really a person could die. A person could, a tragedy could happen, an accident could happen at any moment. However, when a person recognizes that he's always beyond Hashem, he's always in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's when a person will realize that he doesn't have to be worried, he doesn't have to be afraid. And, and Reuben continues and explains that there's really two types of people who can engage with their hero, who can engage with their anxiety, engage with their fear. Either person can live his life and totally be oblivious, totally be unaware of all the dangerous things that could happen to him. He says that's one way to live your life. However, he says that that's a very challenging way to live, to totally, be a, uh, to totally live your life where you're not recognizing the dangers inherent in different situations. He writes that that's not necessarily a very smart way to live. However, there's a second way. And he writes that that way is for a person to recognize the risk to accept the risk and recognize that it's really only hands of Hashem and recognize that Hashem is going to take care of him. And finally, at the end of the chapter, he writes in conclusion, fear can be dilapidating. It affects the body as well as the mind. It is well documented that stress caused by fear can cause numerous physical maladies. Fear can also cause problems in relationships and difficulty in functioning well on a day-to-day basis. People sometimes react to emotional stress the way they react to physical stress. Just as the person who burns himself is more cautious around fire in the future, someone who suffers or fright may avoid getting into similar situations in the future. For example, a person becomes very close to someone then gets hurt and suffers a disappointment. His mind may not allow him to get close to people anymore. This can affect personal relationships, such as a person's relationship with his or her spouse or children. If this does happen, it's important to get help and try to find the root of the problems that can be resolved. With B'takhanach, with we can solve all our problems. The idea of making a cheshman is to recognize your problems, face them, and overcome them. 
One must realize that there is a Rebbeinu in the world who wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have Elam Abba and he wants you to have Elam Azet if you deserve it and if it works out in his plans. If not, unfortunately, you won't have it anyway. May the Rebbeinu Hashem give us all the Menuchas to be able to conquer our fears and to merit becoming true Yerushalayim so that we may serve Hashem with all our strength with true Menuchas. In conclusion, if we have true Menuchas, if we realize that we are always completely and totally in the hands of Hashem, we can conquer all of our fears and live happy, successful lives. Fascinating. Chapter from Rebruven Feinstein. If you want to take a look inside, it's really a beautiful piece. But in summary, Rebruven Feinstein Shlita was describing his own encounter with fear, his own encounter with fear and anxiety, and how he overcame it. Just one more halach nekuda, which is related to this discussion, actually. That there's a very interesting truth from Rameshah. Rameshah is discussing the obligation of a person to say agaymel to the big machlekes, the contemporary paiskim. Should a person say agaymel when he flies over a plane or not? And the question is that statistically, flying in a plane is as safe or much safer actually than driving in a car. So really, every time you go in a car, you should say agaymel. However, Rameshah. Writes and it gets Meshach like Bez Simon Nun Tess. Or Meshach writes that a person when he flies on a plane should say Agaymel because he writes like this Kolshikin be airplane she garua mi maim shafragacha in Yachalias by Avish of Ada she Yishivas of airplane who got sala. Ramesh says a very interesting idea, a very interesting insight. Right? So Ramesh that the reason why when he goes on a boat is because when a person goes on a boat, when he's in the sea, at least in the old days, you're, at a, you're in a situation where if anything goes wrong, you are going to die. There's no way to save you. When a person's on land, so if something goes wrong, somebody can help him, somebody can save him. However, when you're on a boat, when you are on the ocean, if something goes wrong, you're drowning and you are gone. So therefore, says Ramesh, culture can on an airplane, when a person's in the air, if anything goes wrong, you are instantaneously, you're going to be just, you're going to be killed. And therefore, right, so that's what you should say, on an airplane. So I've heard people ask that if this is the case, and when you're in a situation where if something goes wrong, if the plane breaks, then, and you just, you're fall to, falling to the ground, so then you're going to die. So I've heard people ask, people who disagree with Ramesh, say, so when a person goes on a, on a Ferris wheel, they should say also, because when, if they're on the Ferris wheel and the Ferris wheel falls, they're going to die. Meaning, so whenever a person's on a, in a high, it's, place when a person goes onto a porch in a high area so if the porch breaks it's for sure gonna die you should say Agaymo. So I asked the shout to my rabbi of common Epstein Shlita and he explained he clarified what Armesha was saying. He explained that you're right statistically it could be that going into a car will be more dangerous. Statistically going into certain areas might be more dangerous. However when a person goes into an airplane and a person goes into a plane what he's doing is he's putting himself in a situation that if anything goes wrong if the plane breaks or if the if the plane if the engines fail then really there's no way that a person could save you. You're in the air and nobody else can really save you unless a nate happens you're going to die. However a person's on a Ferris wheel a person is in a high place so yeah even if something goes wrong if something breaks I'll be somebody could save you. You're on and somebody could save you. So therefore, that explained of common was the chilek in Ramesha, and that's how Ramesha felt that a person who does fly in a plane should say Agaymel. Again, definitely a fascinating discussion, exactly when you should say Agaymel, when you shouldn't say Agaymel. You should ask your Rav exactly what the minig is, what you should do, Allah Lamaisa. That was a very interesting chilek in Ramesha, that an airplane is a situation of an inherent sakana. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.